Good morning. I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. I know there's sickness and there's lots of other things going on today, but for those of you that are here, I'm glad that you've chosen to be here. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The word Advent means coming, and we're in a season of awaiting Christ's coming, just as the world waited before the first incarnation. In anticipation, we are to live as restored people. I invite you to join me in reading the call to worship that's up on the screen. I will read the leader parts, and you can follow Audrey in reading the parts that say people. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who sit on the mercy seat between the cherubim. We stand in your presence, seeking your face. Shine forth, O Lord, in the sight of your people, that we may see you clearly. Stir up your strength in us. Come, rescue us. The time is near. We are watching. Restore us again, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved, made whole by your gracious love and kindness. We, we are, are watching, watching and waiting, waiting for, for you, you, O Lord. Now Janae will come light the first candle while we read together and then sing a couple, couple of verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Watch, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. The night is far gone, the day is near. As we watch, we light this candle as a sign of our hope. Bring your restoration to your people, we pray.
Thank you for your grace and blessing in our lives. May we give our offering today as a continuation of our worship to you. Take it and use it for your kingdom and your glory. Amen. Our scripture reading today is found in the book of John, chapter 4, verses 34 to 38. John 4, verses 34 to 38. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. For the season of Advent, our children's time will be a little bit different. Instead of the children being prayed for and dismissed right away to Children's Church, the children are going to be invited to the front, and uh, we will be um, enjoying a shepherd. Each week there will be a different shepherd who will come and will address the children. So this is that time. Worked with the older shepherds to learn the tricks of the trade. You might wonder why didn't the owner take care of his own sheep? Or why didn't his children help with the shepherding? Well, they were, they were important people. They got to go to school. They had time to relax. I guess they had better things to do. As much as I loved being out in nature, I knew my place in life. It wasn't easy, but I knew that I was born to be a shepherd. And I knew that was the only choice I had. Romans made the Jewish people where I came from pretty miserable, but the poor people struggled the most, and we were among the poorest. None of us were educated. I didn't get to go to synagogue school with the wealthy kids. I didn't understand everything or, or even really much of anything about our faith. No one in my family could even read, so we had to get our information from other people. But the one thing I knew for certain was that God was going to send the Messiah. Have you heard of the Messiah? Someone who was going to save us from all the hard things. And hard things were almost all we knew. This Messiah was going to be special, powerful, and strong. It was going to take someone mighty tough to fix things around Bethlehem. Our communities felt worn down and, and broken, like, like my stone wall here. Did we know when this Messiah was coming? No. My brother Micah didn't even believe the Messiah was actually coming. Our people had waited so long. Lots of my people were bitter. They were tired and angry from waiting. 
But I would look at the stars at night as I watched the sheep. And in the morning, I would watch the beautiful sunrise. And I couldn't help but think that it wasn't hopeless, that an even brighter day was coming. Well, I've talked too long. I need to get back to my sheep and send you lambs back to your shepherds before they get worried. But next week, I'll be back to tell you more. You may not believe what I have to say because I can hardly believe it myself, except that I'm going to tell you about things I saw with my own eyes when I wasn't much older than you. Let's pray before we go. Our Lord and Great Shepherd, open our ears and hearts this Advent to learn to know you more. Thank you for caring for each of us. Amen. Please bow with me now in prayer. Dear God, even though they're homesick, we still thank you for each of the little ones in our congregation. We pray that they feel better soon. We pray that you'll be with their parents as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. If you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to pull them out. There's a couple things on there. The first is uh, Kids Connect. This coming Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. here at the church, grades 3 to 6. If you have a grade 3 to 6 in your life, make sure to tell them so that they can come out. It's a good time. Prayer meeting also 6.45 p.m. as well. Thursday, girls' Bible study at Bethany's at 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. And next Sunday, uh, 9.45 here, uh, Sunday School, 10.45 worship service. Also next Sunday is Carol Fest, and that is wonderful. It has been a while since it has been going, and so I am looking forward to it myself, and not just because I can do the opening myself, not just because I know David and a bunch of gentlemen in this church have been working real hard, putting together a wonderful musical number there, as well as Lyndon and Levi as well. So it's going to be a good time. Carol Fest, it's at the MCI Gymnasium at 7 p.m. Make sure to put it on your calendars. Next weekend in general is really when Christmas things kick off here in town. The parade is the day before and Skate with Santa as well. So it's going to be a good weekend. November 29th and 30th, quilting at the Sommerfeld Church. Note that down. Uh, December 6th, there is going to be a congregational meeting. The big thing on the docket there are fall elections. If you haven't gotten the forms out of your mailbox yet, all of the openings that there are are there. Uh, read it over. If something speaks to you, then pray uh, as whether God is pushing you into that role. If there's somebody else that pops out, then I would say talk to them and pray about it as well. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing that the church always needs more prayer for, the leadership of the church and who will step into new roles. December 9th, McGregor EMC Christmas concert is coming back as well. So 7 p.m., that is December 9th, is a Friday, I believe. Put that on your list as well. It's going to be a great, great night. Besides that, you'll see uh, there is a chart in the back of the foyer that has just where we are in terms of giving for the year. We are a bit behind, and so have a look over. And if you feel the need for generosity, then, well, we'd gladly take it. You can either give in the offering in the back, or also you can look online. There's many different ways to give to the church as well. All right. 
prayer items. Safety and health for those in the community experiencing illness. Uh, yeah, so I was talking to my, uh, to Noelle's uh, kindergarten teacher. She said of the 20 kids in that class, eight of them were homesick. So we want to pray for the illness that is going around town right now. Uh, we want to pray for the town, just that health comes back. We want to pray uh, for the town during this time. So we definitely want to keep that in our prayers. Uh, also, a wonderful item would be next on that line, a strong recovery uh, after heart surgery for Amber's dad's friends. As you'll remember, two weeks ago, then uh, Amber brought that before us, that her dad's uh, best friend was rushed into the hospital because his heart, uh, he, he needed to have, oh, I think, a triple bypass in the end. Uh, but he is out of surgery, uh, he is in recovery, and it is looking well, but it is a long road because that's what happens when you get open-heart surgery. But that is definitely God at work right there, and so that is a wonderful item for praise. Uh, Jane and Brady, they had their new little boy, Remington Stephen Brook, born on November 23rd at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 7 pounds, 8 ounces, and I believe 20 inches long as well. A little bundle of joy. So we want to pray for the new happy family that they adjust to life with a newborn. We want to pray for Zarel as well, uh, now with a new little baby in the house. So... That is something we also want to keep in our prayers. Well, please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise. First off, in praise, hearing this wonderful news about Amber's dad's best friend. When he went into the hospital, things were definitely not certain. Things definitely didn't look good, but... You were there with the surgeons. You were there with the hospital staff. You were there with this man, and now he is in recovery, and it looks good. And so, God, we pray, thank you for that. We pray, continue to be with him also. Continue to heal him. Lord, we pray that when we look at how he is doing in a couple months' time, it will seem so much better still. But we thank you for this. And God, we also want to pray a word of praise for the birth of new little Remington Stephen Brook. For a while there in the delivery, then it did look a little, a little iffy as to how things would turn out. But it, God, you were there and you turned it around. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that he is doing well. And God, as he comes home to his new family soon, we pray that you will be with them as they adjust. We pray that you will bless this little guy. We pray that you'll bless the family as well. We pray that you'll be with Brady, with Jane, and also with Zarel as they become this new family. But Lord, we say thank you for the birth of this little one too. And God, we want to pray also for this sickness that's going around. Lord, we want to pray for healing for our town and for much of the rest of Manitoba as well. Lord, we pray for the kids of our congregation to feel better. God, we pray that they will be feeling right as rain soon enough. And we pray also that as it makes its way through, that it doesn't have to be any harsher than it is. 
But Lord, we look forward to the time when this one has worked its way through the system. We pray for healing, Lord. And God, we also want to bring our guest speaker before you this morning, Lou Peters with World Serve. Lord, we thank you for the good work that this ministry does. And we pray open our ears to understanding new things about how your kingdom is built across the world by hearing about how World Serve serves you. Lord, we put that before you and we look forward to hearing. In your name we pray these things. Amen. This morning, um, I'm not the kind of guy that usually likes to just sit and listen. I learn far more if I have to be involved. I can hear things, I can see things, but if you walk beside me and help me along, I'm going to remember it a whole lot longer than those other methods. So this morning, I'm going to start off with, you're going to be involved with me. We're going to do a little bit of background stuff to the story of the Samaritan woman. So, that's the passage we're looking at. This, this passage involves two individuals. There's two groups of people. And there's a location that this story happens. And so we're going to start with the, the location first. And that's, that's in Samaria. Now, I don't know. Do you know where Samaria is? I have a hard time comprehending that till I really started looking at that. So this morning, we're going to imagine that the Mediterranean Sea is there, and we're going to call that west. Now, to some of you, I know that's not west, but right now, that's west. And as I stand facing you, I have the Mediterranean Sea, and I'm going to say, there's the Mediterranean Sea. So do that with me. Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's our starting point. And as I look, if I go this way, about 70 kilometers. Let's imagine that curtain. When it's closed, it goes like this. It's kind of like a river. So go Jordan River. So we got the... Now... That's west, that's east, and if I'm right, that's south, according to the map in my head. Now, that wall over there is a divide between Judah and Samaria. So let's just point over and say, Judah. Judah. If you go 80 kilometers that way, it's almost square, you have Galilee. Go Galilee. So we have the All right. So in the geography of things, if you go about ten kilometers beyond that wall, you have Jerusalem. If you go about ah, another ten kilometers on beyond that wall, you have Bethlehem. Now, Jerusalem's a little more that way. Bethlehem's a little bit more this way. So you got that picture of where we're going to be in this morning. Now, we're going to take, like on your computer screen, you press that plus button on the map, and you start zooming in. 
So I happen to know this guy's name, Gordon. Would you stand up? <laughs> We're going to talk about this town. It's the town of Sychar. That's where Jesus happens to be going through. And, and about over here is a field, and he sits down beside a well. Now, that's a famous well. You can sit down. It's a well in the field of Jacob. It's a, a well that Jacob has dug. And as he sits down here, somebody comes to the well to draw water. Now, it's not normal that that person comes that early in, in the day, but she's a little bit of a different kind of person. So she comes when there's not so many other people to draw water. So that's the situation we have in front of us. Now, I'm glad you had that response of reading this morning because you're in practice uh, with doing that. And we've got, now we're going to start focusing on these two individuals. We're going to do it this way. You know, sometimes if you have kids and they come to you and one says, she said that, he said that. Well, we're going to get into this conversation like that. I'll do the he says, and you guys do the she says. Okay? Got it? So we're going to start off with this conversation. He said, being Jesus, please give me a drink. If you only knew the gift of God, uh, for the, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He said, Go get your husband. You're right, you don't have a husband, for you had five husbands, and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is, it's here now, 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I am the Messiah. Then we have an interruption. And typical guys, what are they thinking about? These kind of state the obvious. What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Now, she, that was, she went back to the village to tell the people of the village about this Messiah. And so the people were coming, but while they were coming, again, Captain Obvious, these guys were saying, Rabbi, eat something. After all, we went into the village to get food, and now we have it here. And he says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And again, they're, they're wondering, what is this all about? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? We'll go that far in the scripture. There's a lot of details that I kind of left in that, but it brings out what the actual conversation was. And so, as we look at this from a human point of view we see that there's three observations. And in that culture, it says, why are you talking to a Samaritan? It wasn't customary. She was from a different cultural background. She looked at the world from a different vantage point. She may have even had a different color of skin. She practiced a different religion. Ah, she went to that church. She may not have believed the same things. And she lived a different lifestyle. After all, she wasn't living with a husband anymore. She was just living with another man. She may not even have called her good. Then we will want to look at the other side of that. From a missions point of view, I think there's four reasons that we need to talk to this woman. She was from a different culture or background. She practiced a different religion. And what I find, my wife is better at this than I am, she engages in their culture, in their background, and it's a way to get into their life and to begin sharing. They live a different lifestyle. I come from, or we worship at the Burkfeld Church, which is south of Plum Coulee, and right next door is a Muslim family. And there's a couple of people that have been invited to that home, and they enjoy the meals, the huge meals, and the fellowship, and the questioning that goes back. But that different lifestyle, where it turns some people off, it engages others. And it's interesting to find out who they are, and what they do. 
But most importantly, she needed Jesus. And as we move further into the scripture, that's what we want to focus on. Just as you lit that first candle, it's a candle of hope. As Christians, we have something to offer that offers hope. And we want to look at that a little bit further. There's some significant things that Jesus had to say about missions. And I'm going to read verses 34 to 38 again. Then Jesus exclaimed, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look. The fields are ready, already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I send you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. I've been reading from the NLT translation, if you're wondering. So in verse 34, I want to look at what he says. He says, don't minimize missions. It's God's will. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God and finishing his work. So it's the good news story in the Bible from Genesis all the way from where God begins to look for Adam and Eve after they started hiding, and he calls out, where are you? Right till Revelation, front to back. The whole Bible is a story of redemption and of hope. God in his grace and his mercy are calling men and women back to himself. Every story, every chapter, every book is part of a building crescendo in the exploding story of God's glory and grace. The good news is not just the story of the Bible. It is the story of all history as well. From beginning to end, the history of the world is about the glory of God and this display of that glory through his power, his mercy, and his grace. Every national event Every twist and turn of history, every revolution, every government change, every scientific discovery, every movement of history is not about men, but about God, who is moving all these events toward his predetermined end. All of history is a story of God as he moves his creation toward the day of his return and the glorification of who he is. Next, God's will isn't about me and about my convenience or comfort. When Jesus talked about God's will, he didn't talk about the basic things of life like food, the things the disciples in their empty stomachs were thinking about. He talked about his glory and his message of grace that replaces condemnation 
that so easily could have been focused on with this woman. It's about people who are not the same as us, who need to hear the message of God's grace. They're lost, heading for judgment, their sins condemning them for all eternity. In Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. Every single person and culture is trying to deal with sin. Our culture is trying to deal with it by getting rid of God and saying that he has nothing to say to us. In other cultures, they have developed ways and means to pay for sin. Those ways and means are called religion. As much as they try to get out of their sins, they cannot. They build shrines and altars. They sacrifice animals and even humans. They worship cows, do all sorts of other strange things in their desperate attempt to trying to deal with their sin. They have a different culture, a different religion, and a different way of life, but they all need the same thing. They need to know that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was for them, for me. As I looked some things up, and as we heard, I heard a mission speaker this last weekend in our church stated this. You realize that two people die every second in the world someplace? That's 600 million people per year. You know, do you know at that rate it would be less than a minute to clear this sanctuary out? It's a lot of people. And when you realize most of them don't know God, it makes you think. Another thing to think about is God's will does not make missions an option. As Jesus was about to leave this earth, he gave his disciples a commandment. It wasn't an option, it wasn't a subject. It was a clear command to each one of them and us. Matthew 28, 19 includes these words, go and make disciples. Wherever we go, whatever we do, at the heart of it must be disciple-making. This includes the school you attend, the friends you enjoy, the neighbors you have, the career path you've chosen, even the part-time job you have. Each of these is an assignment from, the, from and for, uh, from the Lord God. I learned this again this last weekend, and it, it rather struck me. I think you might be familiar with that picture. That might be a hockey rink diagram that a court coach lays down in front of its players. But the sad thing is that, and this was um, John Lusick's description, and I, I can see it. As a North American church, we have been focusing on getting the puck over the red line much more than focusing on getting that puck into the goal. Yes, we need salvations. We need to tell people about salvation. But we need to finish the assignment of getting them to become disciples and disciple makers. 
so that we don't lose our friends and our neighbors to all the other things this world has to offer. It struck me, and I'm looking at, okay, now how do I move the people that are my friends to become disciple makers? Another thing about this passage, God's will is that people hear the message through others who have believed. We are the display and voice of God's message. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him, who, call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will, they, how will anyone go and tell them without having been sent? Going to move to verse 35. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. And it tells me not to put off missions. It isn't something that we do four months from now. Not something to think about later. Not something... Oops, I'm going to just go there. After I have accomplished my goals and dreams, not something you do after you have finished your education, made lots of money, or raised your family. Missions is now. It's as you do all these things, be involved in mission. Another thing that came to my attention this last week this graph shows the reached people of, of Canada. In 1927, about 27% of the population was reached, churched. By 1996, it was down to 12%. 2015, 9%. 2020, 6%. And this year, it's estimated that it's only 3%. And in the terms of defining reached people, 2% is, is the point where they consider a nation unreached. That's kind of what the statistics are telling us about Canada. Every single day, people are dying without the message of Jesus. 2.6 billion people have never heard of Christ and his love. About 155,000 die every day. Do this with me, just to re-emphasize this. Let's count to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine, ten. During that time, we counted to ten. Twenty people died. Hmm. Again, it strikes me. What am I doing to the people that I know that don't know Christ? 
and am I part of not telling them? Let's move. So what are we doing about it? Yes, I look at your mission board. You're supporting missionaries. Wonderful. And that is something that we need to be doing. If I understand right, there's some of you that have been on short-term missions. Great. You support those missions in reaching the lost people. And as I was standing at the coffee counter, I heard about Kids Connect. And they said, 35, 40 kids are coming each week? Wow. That is amazing. Because that's the people that would fulfill this and that in the future. And telling them about Christ is important. Keep it up. So some things to ask. What What are you doing well? And that's something that you're doing amazing at. Keep it up. You might ask, what can we do better? I'll leave that in your hands. I know for me, I was challenged to do Bible study with others. And especially those that are new in their faith or don't know the faith, introducing them into Scripture. Verse 36 we look at that. It says, The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal joy. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. We're in an agricultural community you're familiar with, planting and harvesting. But reaching the world is always a team effort. We have partnerships and relationships with various organizations to work together to do what God has commanded. And I'll tell you in a minute or so what WorldServe is doing. But again, here it implies that missions is not for someone else. It's for all of us. No one is exempted from God's command or, for, or from God's will. So the question again is, where do you fit in? Personally, some practical things. Pray. Adopt a missionary that you pray for every day. If it's possible, make sure that you get to visit with them when they come home on home assignment. Or if they're retired, doesn't mean that they've quit being a missionary. Invite them, talk to them, encourage them. Pray for the nations that they serve in. Make sure you have their cards on your fridge and where you see them so that you can remember them on a regular basis. They're fighting not against just human, but they're they're fighting against principalities. And they need your prayer to uphold them in that work. So we have send, um, pray, but it's also send those prayers on, on their behalf. Yeah, make sure you're giving, and, and that's part of it as well. Your tithes and offerings where your church is supporting missionaries or where you are individually uh, supporting a ministry. That's all part 
of ways that you can fit in. Here's an option, go as a short-termer to support a missionary. They love to see you on the field so that they can uh, be encouraged. So if you're looking at becoming a missionary, it's not a bad thing to do. Whether you're single, whether you're starting a family, or whether you're in the retirement stage, if God is calling you to make that life your life's work, do so, because you're not lowering your goal uh, in doing so. You're more important than the Prime Minister of Canada. There's no greater task than being a missionary. Now I'm going to switch over a little bit into to who is WorldServe and how you can partner with us. Just kind of wrote up a summary statement of who we are. WorldServe is dedicated to strengthening the persecuted church. For 45 years, WorldServe has supported the ambitious goal of empowering the persecuted church to make a gospel transformating impact in its local community. Reaching this goal begins with the local leaders by empowering the efforts of international churches and communities. Uh, they are impacted as the gospel comes to life in those communities. We do this through uh, various means. It's Bible training, Bible distribution, leader support, food and medicine distribution, kids programs, children's care homes, and micro-business initiatives. Through these life-changing examples, WorldServe desires to connect you to the ministries of these incredible pastors and churches. Through your partnership, you'll discover numerous opportunities to meet real life and real-time needs and share in the joy of God's great work in persecuted nations. WorldServe, we say that you never give to WorldServe. You only give through WorldServe. It's like a three-legged stool. You have those that are in need. You have those that are able to give. And we provide the third state of a leg of that stool as a means to connect you and provide st stability in that. Mentioned Bible distribution. It is amazing when you go into a country, the need for Bibles. Most of my experiences in, in Cuba, I've been there a number of times and work closely with the people in that country. But we also do this in Ethiopia, uh, Myanmar, and we were in China. We we're reevaluating how we can support those people without endangering them. But Bibles is a constant need to, for new believers and for believers in these countries. Our field director uh, was going down a road and he was going to meet a pastor to give him some past, uh, Bibles. But he got word later on he couldn't come because there was no car that came. These guys 
rely on cars and other people to give them rides to points where they can connect. So our field director made a point. It was a 25-mile journey, which usually takes an hour and a half or two, and brought Bibles to this church. And so he asked, when's the last time you saw a Bible? And he said, six years ago, I got my Bible. And that was the Bible in the church. When there are Bibles, family members, and between families, they are often cha- uh, shared, especially in rural com- uh, communities. In, the, in these bigger cities, it's not as, as bad as that, but in the rural. So we're about distributing Bibles. Here's just a couple pictures. This is a, a Bible that has treasures, this Bible, because this is a study Bible. That is a rare thing for a pastor to have as well, the opportunity to even have a study Bible. We've been able to buy lots of these New Testaments in Cuba and great evangelism tools in building and reaching the people. Each of these pictures, you've seen a pastor. And they are the center of focus of what World for Serve does. We focus on the pastors because they know the people, they know the language, and they're most effective. I'm just estimating there's somewhere between 40 and 50 people here this morning. In most cases in Cuba, by the time you have this many people in a church, and a church is considered about 20, 25 people. They already have anywhere from two to six church plants going on. Cell groups of three, four, five, six people meeting in a home someplace or other. That is the type of revival that these guys are, are, it's happening. And when I hear that, it gives me Goosebumps. Talked about Kids Connect here and why I'm so excited. Kids ministry in Cuba is just amazing. I like that guy over there that is leaning forward and intent on what the teacher is teaching. That is not unusual for these kids. I've been in a church that has had a clown. Now, clowns out here may not be a big thing, but it is, and clowns and balloons are a big thing in Cuba. And over 100 kids, and I watched them from the sideline, intent on them sharing the message of gospel, of the gospel, amongst the fun fun that they were having. There was no poking. There was this intentness on listening to the message. Part of that uh, as well is had a pastor call up one of our church, our children's ministry people. He says, we've got seven people in our church and I don't know what to do. Four of them are kids and three are adults. Can you, give us some, can you give us a hand? And this children's ministry said, yep, 
She brought her team to this church. And through that time, she trained one or uh, two of those adults to be children's ministers. And as he trained them, they also went into the community to do children's events. Three months later, there were 50 kids a part of that church. A year later, that church was 100 people, half of them being adults, because those kids brought their parents to church. That is the effectiveness of doing kids' ministry in that country. Kids are wonderful evangelists. April of 2019, I visited a friend in Abbotsford, B.C. He invited me to come uh, and see what the gleaners were doing in that area. The gleaners collect produce that is too big or too small or damaged. They clean it up. They trim them, dice them, and make a, a vegetable soup mix. Found out that there was some unfinished business with that gleaners that my predecessor hadn't finished. We got into a, a relationship. We mended that. And it was about six months later that she offered, the director there offered me a 40-foot container load of soup mix. Now, this is bags of beans. I didn't have a, already a good picture of the, the soup mix other than, than that bag that that gentleman is holding. And with that, I was kind of thrown into a ministry of compassionate aid. And since then, we have now shipped 17 container loads of uh, mostly food. There's some medical equipment that has been a part of that into the country of Cuba. And the neat thing is we are not shipping food. We're shipping the gospel. Because each of these bags, whether it's a big bag of beans or a small bag of soup mix, that creates 100 portions of soup, by the way, um, goes to a pastor, and it's that pastor that brings it to somebody in the community, either the elderly, handicapped, or a, a very poor family, and with that pastor goes the gospel. And I just heard this again. There was a communist leader in one of these towns, and they were on their last food in the house, and he'd gone out that day to look. While he was gone, one of the pastor in the town came and brought them a bag of beans. And these beans aren't just any beans, because if they're beans from Cuba... There's about 10% stones in them. But these beans are number one quality beans that come to them because they come from Manitoba. And we know how to clean rocks out of beans. <laughs> and when he came back home, there was food on the table. And he said, where does this come? And she went about explaining how the pastor and the church provided them with food. This leader then said, our government promises to take care of us. That's part of the socialist system. But now the church is taking care of us. What is happening? They are, him and his wife and their family are now attending that church. 
I don't know if they've become Christ followers yet. But we hear over and over how people are led to the Lord by a package of food. So if I was just sending food to Cuba, I would get discouraged and tired of doing it because it's not always easy. There's interruptions. And uh, this last time, part of the load, the trailer broke a hitch and it was in Carlisle, Saskatchewan, and they were supposed to be that afternoon in Altona. But God provided and uh, worked it out. And I'm so thankful that he did. So that's some of the things that WorldServe does. And then um, this morning, I read an email from my counterpart. Some of, his, his wife is related into this community. Her name is Joyce, it was Sawatsky, now Techley. He's in Ethiopia. He went through a communist leadership where he was tortured for his faith. He was in the firing line and somebody told him to run and he ran. And as a teenager, he got to come to Canada. And he vowed he'd never go back. Well, he's been back right now for the third time this year. In the beginning of the year, they bought food and supplies and took it into the north. They were five to ten miles from where the rebels were fighting the government. They heard the missiles occasionally in the areas where they were serving, bringing people and evaluating what was happening in that country. He saw a great need for trauma counseling. So it's about three months ago, he went again, again and organized counselors, trained counselors to go into those areas to reach these people that have gone through war with trauma counseling and with food. Strong Muslim areas. But through that, people are coming to know the Lord. And just this week, I got that email from Sam, and he was there again. The government has invited him. And these people, these government people that have gone to see where things are at, Seasoned people that have seen hard things. One of them said to Sam during the session, I was in this area, and, I, and he says, oh, you only have 18 people that have killed here. And the people looked at him, what are you saying? And then he realized he had become so hard and seen so much of mass um, stuff that 18 people didn't seem like very much. And he realized he needed help to, again, to get to the point where he had a heart of compassion for people. Another testimony was of a, of a woman that had been in these areas. Again, so hardened because she had dealt with so many people that had experienced rape and child molestation from the rebels. She said, I need healing. I, I'm so hard. And so they're providing healing to these people, training them in counseling so they can go and providing <coughs> food along with that trauma counseling, sharing the love of Christ and people where there might be one or two in a whole district that might come in a, in a year 
to Christ are now coming in multiples. And it's so uh, heart-gripping for me to, to hear of the, the work that has been done as they go f- forward. And that first time Sam went to the, uh, into the country, pardon me, that was the second time they were in ministering and then the rebels were moving, advancing into this area. And the rest of the NGOs in the area just dropped their vehicles, their food and stuff, and ran back to the capital. And he was told he needed to come. And he says, no, God called me to, to, to um, minister to these people. God will provide, God will protect, and he did. And as a result of that, the rest of the country is seeing the need. The government saw the strength and the, and the fortitude that Sam had in, in providing and seeing the need of the people. And our, our ministry is, is growing there, and people are coming to Christ. It's those kind of things that excite me when I see God is at work. And it's where persecution is the hardest that God is moving the strongest. So we've come through a hard time, and I'm no way saying that we were persecuted, but it's a hard time. But God is starting to refine us and see that our neighbor needs, needs Christ just as much as somebody in another country. Their souls is valuable, but it's no less valuable than these places in the other country. So as you have heard this and as you see other missionaries and, and stuff, evaluate what is your role? I'm not here to tell you what it is, but pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers, whether it's here in McGregor, in Manitoba, Canada, or the world. Because the time, you know, every minute says we're one minute closer to the end. And every minute we live, it's one minute closer to where God may call us home. And there's so many that don't have, haven't had the opportunity to come to Christ. That's my message for today. Thank you. If you are able, I invite you to stand and sing with us together, I Know Whom I Have Believed.
thanks for sharing. The time of the harvest is now, and it's good to see the way that the church is working across the world. We don't often see that, and yet it just knocks our socks off every time we do. It just, how big, how brave. Our benediction today comes from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go this week and serve our God. I know not where